Hi, I'm Madhuni Krishnan, editor of Airline Weekly, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast is the audio from our weekly live streaming interview series, which we air every Monday at noon Eastern at forum.skiff.com. Join us for the weekly live stream. We'll take your questions live on air. And if, of course, if you prefer audio, we'll always be podcasting the Airline Weekly Lounge at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the show. I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, editor of Airline Weekly, and thank you for joining us on the live stream. Um, so today I'm joined by Jonathan Keane, Accent, the consulting firm Accenture's global head of aviation. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Well, I suppose it's afternoon there in London. It is this afternoon, yes. Uh, right. but, uh, good to speak to you nonetheless. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Uh, I just wanted to, to, you know, I know with Accenture, like um, is common with a lot of the consultancies, will not can't really name specific airlines, but we can talk about we can talk about the aviation industry writ large and the airline and hospitality industries writ large without going into specifics. And just talk, I talk about some of the trend lines that are that we're seeing um, now in this this unprecedented and hopefully a unrepeated time that we're facing. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not a it is a cliche, but it is nonetheless true that this is the probably the biggest crisis that has fit the, hit the airline industry in its century-long history. Um, so I want to, uh, I mean, with that grim starting point, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, a paper and study that Accenture is working on, which you mentioned in the prep for this call, uh, for this podcast, on um, some of the scenarios you're seeing and how you're advising your clients on on what the, how this this may play out. No, absolutely. And thank you again for the invitation to join today. It's great to be connected to you and to your listeners. I think the, the the situation we find ourselves in, and we're very lucky in Accenture, we, we've served over 90% of the world's top 30 airlines last year in some shape or form, whether it be in the kind of strategy end of things, whether it be in consulting or technology or digital, we were very lucky to serve those clients in some shape or form. And I, I agree with you, some of the, the terminology that we've all used to describe it have tried to say how bad the situation is. I, I haven't stopped short of the word brutal. Um, it is absolutely brutal. Uh, whichever way you look at it, whichever way you try and dress it up, the situation that our clients find themselves in, their customers, their employees, their shareholders, it is just brutal. Um, and I think the one thing I'd, I'd say quickly in the situation is um, I, I genuinely think so many of our clients and indeed the broader industry has done very well. Um, these are you know, very testing times. If you think of the volume of challenges that sit on a CEO or a CCO or a COO's to-do list on a daily basis, the volume of change, the speed of change, the uncertainty that exists in the market really is just unprecedented in, in everywhere that people have used to describe it. Um, and, and for that reason, as you as you talked about there, we, we've been trying to help our clients think through the, the way in which they should address these issues. And when the crisis starts, started back in March, you know, we were very clear about a three-step processes, a three-step process that our clients should go through, which was firstly very clearly reduce their costs, take as much cost as you could out of the business, then very clearly get into a restructuring mode akin to what we were done in restructuring through all the work that Accenture and, and our team have done before, but then get into a world where they rebuild their business. I think the thing that caught us out and indeed caught most of the industry out was A, the speed at which things changed, but B, the way in which we can't move sequentially through those phases, because the way in which this virus is spreading and mutating, so is our response to the industry trends. And so we've had to think through that. And the work that we've been doing really in those areas has been around what we're calling outmaneuvering uncertainty. 
how do you outmaneuver uncertainty in a world that is so challenging and so difficult for our clients? Um, on that front, one of the things that we're very sure on is that there are four main things that we think our clients need to be as, at the end of this. What, one is just very quickly being much smaller in what they are. Secondly, being much more flexible in what they do. Thirdly, ultimately being lower cost. And fourthly, being much more what we would call fuller service. But most importantly, having to do all four of those things at the same time. That's the difference. So, so these four four sort of outcomes that you're you're advising your clients on is this sort has this supplanted the three stages you you sort of predicted back in March, or or just adapted as the the pandemic has changed? I think it's it's definitely the latter. I mean, I think our clients ultimately do need to continue to focus on reducing their costs. They do need to restructure in a different way. Uh, I think as we've helped many clients as they've gone through chapter 11 and restructuring with, you know, our Seabury consulting team that Accenture acquired a few years ago, we've helped many of our clients go through that restructuring. The difference now is that we're no longer talking about individual corporate restructuring. We're talking about industry-wide restructuring, and that's very different. Nobody wants to buy the excess fleet. Nobody wants the excess crew. And so restructuring is very different. But ultimately, to your point, the outcome that our clients have to be focused on is smaller. They have to be lower cost. They need to be more flexible in what they do. And they ultimately need to have this fuller service piece, which is something that I think as, as our industry evolves and was going down the route anyway, they need to be better on so many things around customer service, around sales, around retailing, et cetera. All those things have to be true in tomorrow's world. Hmm. Yeah, can you explain that last point a little bit better? I mean, you, you know, this 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 sort of echoes language Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, um, had used in uh, a recent earnings call, saying that Delta. He stressed many times that Delta will be a smaller airline, yeah. and will be a more premium airline, is how he put it. Uh, now, is that sort of the kind of when you say fuller service, do you mean more on the premium side of things, or do you mean just sort of the whole retail and hospitality? ethos of an airline it, it's once again more the latter I, I don't think we have to and, and delta you know very good case case study there you know premium is definitely where they're, they're going i think where we say fuller service we don't necessarily think you have to jump to premium mm -hmm. but there are some industry fundamentals which you know historically as an industry we focus very much about what our competition have done within our industry within a market or if we've been bold enough we've looked overseas to look at how other airlines are doing it Right. Our consumers and, and customers now no longer look at how another airline does something. They look at how another retailer does it. They look at how huh. an online an online uh, platform does something. They expect customer service to be different. If, if you think about the way in which we've managed the refund process, or if you think about what well, United came out this week in terms of change fees, right. or if you think about how, and something we're talking to a, a couple of clients uh, on baggage at the moment, if you think about how we manage those processes, they are, they are commonly from a bygone era. I mean, as an industry, we still use a PNR, which is based on the hard disk reference of where a booking was stored in a 1960s system. Okay. That, that's essentially how we refer to a customer still today. And so we have to get to this world where definitely they're smaller, definitely they're more uh, flexible in what they do in terms of their cost base. They're definitely lower in cost, but they have to be full of service. And as I said, they have to do all four of those things at the same time. And that's the paradigm shift that's hard. Well, I want to, you know, I definitely want to hit those other two points, but now just as an observer in the industry, and I, I, you know, I've been covering this for a while. Um, when hearing the term "fuller service" right now seems a little bit, uh, what, what airlines are facing is seventy percent. In some case in the U.S., you know, their traffic is off by seventy percent, right, year over year. 
it's hard to sort of how, how do you tell an airline to focus on service when when they're sort of in an they're sort of an ex this is an existential crisis yeah I, I, it's, it's a good question and one where actually i don't think the the two outcomes are mutually exclusive full of service doesn't necessarily mean that you have to increase your operating cost and i think that's the paradigm shift here if, if i think of what Accenture's done, we're, we are working, I work very closely with my industry leads in other industries, whether it be in retail, whether it be in communications and technology, whether it be in, in, in borders, for example, where we're doing a lot of work together, as you can imagine at the moment. There are things that are going on in that industry that are transforming the way in which their consumers are interacting with their brands. Uh, and you know, if I take, for example, the world of telco, the, the transformation that's happened in contact centers in, in telcos and you know, kind of uh, uh, in that world, is, is amazing. The way in which they've brought together you know, multi-channel retailing, the way in which it's seamless and frictionless as you go from talking to someone online to then uh, using an experience online to then going to the call center. If I look at many, and I'm not saying all, if I look at many airlines and indeed hotels around the world, they are still staffed with very high volumes of call center people. Hmm. And ultimately now that doesn't necessarily translate into great service. And I've had conversations with many uh, airline executives over the last few weeks where they are looking at those cost bases and saying, how do I get a better return on investment? And ultimately that comes down to where we're going with how we're advising our clients, which was your, your first question. I think as we look ahead to those four outcomes, it's very clear, Accenture's done some very interesting research across all the 19 industries that we serve. Uh, and we've done that and we're doing it every two weeks at the moment. And it's all around consumer sentiment. Um, we're polling about 50,000 people every two weeks across 20 countries. And it's very interesting to see the trends in behavior. I mean, some of the some of the interesting stuff that came out this uh, the latest research, yet forty three percent of people that we surveyed were still nervous about re-entering society to sort of resume normal activity as a result of the pandemic. Fifty eight percent of those people still feel uncomfortable about taking a flight, and when we dug deeper on that on the business travel, um, it's very clear that half the business travelers that we asked say that they will return to fewer flights when they come back. Half. And in that half of them and that's 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 stark and so as we think about how we advise our clients and many of them at the moment are asking you know the questions that you posed at the start here how do we help them outmaneuver that uncertainty how do we get to the point where we can help them think through what could happen in this industry and how do they prepare for those scenarios because i think one of the phrases that i've been using with our clients uncertainty doesn't cause for inaction hmm. yeah, leadership comes from outmaneuvering that uncertainty and so it's really important now that our clients and the broader industry working together as, across what I call this AAA, airlines, airports and authorities, work together and collaborate together to outmaneuver this uncertainty in a very, very different way. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> before we move on to, to, to I want to ask you about the, the sort of the, the scenarios you've sketched yeah. out, but uh, there's one startling thing you mentioned to me, and that's uh, half of business travelers say they they imagine the, after this is we're all through this that uh, they'll travel in a different way yes that, right That's so do you know uh we've you and i've been around for a while i remember when email was going to kill business travel yeah and uh and then it was you know early video con conferencing was going to kill business travel do you think this time is actually different not kill but will it if affect business travel i think it will change on many levels, right? I think it will change on a consumer basis as a human being. I think a lot of people are changing the way in which they're living life as a result of this, whether it be for health reasons, whether it be for wealth reasons, whether it be for time reasons. And, you know, in life, we're always trying to balance that time, health, wealth conundrum, right? That's that's the balance we all strive for. 
I, I think on that level, consumers are changing their behaviors. I think on a corporate level, I know from the work I do also with my team in the hospitality space, you know, the conference and events business is something that, that our, our hospitality clients are really worried about. You know, this year, many people have canceled big events. It will come to the budget season next year, they'll cancel an event. Then there's a risk that in the third year, how do you get to a world where you've managed to cope without that event for the last two years? Why do you need it in a budget now? I, I think there are different types of challenges and we as a team have been talking about this. Yeah, it, the world that we live in now through the, the means of, of, of communications across these platforms as we're doing now, um, it's quite easy to interact with people you know. Interacting with new people is hard. And so I think there will be changes in the way in which, you know, whether it be a sales organization, that will be different. But I think the people who historically, you know, flew from London to New York for a meeting for two hours, I think consumer behavior is going to change on that front. Right. Right. Yeah. And, the, um, and it, it's hard to, you know, I was talking to um, McCarran, uh, uh, the chief marketing officer of McCarran International in Las Vegas. Right. Uh, now, Las Vegas, we all think of the casinos and, and, um, and the leisure traveler, you know, and that's an enormous component of Las Vegas' traffic and, and revenue. But the city also makes a ton of money from conventions and, and yeah. trade shows. And that that month, that has just evaporated. I think six million visitors to Vegas come to uh, for for conventions and trade shows. And that has dropped to virtually zero this year. Um, so. Are, are you preparing your, your clients, both in the hospitality sector and in the airline sector, for a world in which conventions and trade shows are either much less frequent or much smaller? Um, I, I, we are uh, on the basis that they, I think they will be different. Mm -hmm. um, I think they will be very different. And in fact, actually, you come back to that, my point before about collaboration. You know, I know I'm talking with our airline clients and hotel clients. You know, how, how do those businesses work together to try and strike the right balance of what these events will need to be? I think a key part to, you know, they always say that, you know, you have to do something 26 times for it to become, you know, a habit or whatever the number is these days. Um, I think I've said that 26 times yet. I don't know if I've sure got it right. <laughs> but, Lord knows uh, it took me longer than 26 tries to quit smoking. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think ultimately it comes a little bit to how long we live in the in the period that we're in at the moment. And I think that's where we've, been helping our clients think through these four scenarios that I talked mm -hmm. to at the earlier got the call and this conversation. I think that there are four, once again, four parameters that we've been thinking about as we've been reflecting on these scenarios in conversation and consultation with our clients. The, the first one is when do we think a vaccine will become available? And indeed, how will we as society contain viruses? You know, I, I'm seeing it in various states in the US or in India or in, the, in, in various uh, cities in the UK where I am now. Um, about how we're containing viruses, that, that that will have a big impact on these scenarios. Uh, the second one really is around how will governments and society respond to this? Uh, how will they prepare themselves? How will they get the test and trace? How will they really configure themselves to be on top of this on a daily, weekly basis? The third one relates to some of those data points I mentioned before. Um, how do we get and understand consumer sentiment at the most specific level that understands a given client that usually flies someone on a leisure route or flies them on a corporate business route, how are their behavior changing? And then fourthly, an overlay that we can't miss here is the global economic climate. So across all of the, the world, we, we've been using data points from our, our kind of CBRE APG tool set, from the Accenture Applied Intelligence tool sets, from government data points, et cetera, et cetera. And we have essentially laid out these four scenarios. And the, the way in which I think the industry may come back is dependent upon 
our position in the, and the world's position on each of those four things. Um, you know, the four scenarios, and we, we've labeled them just to try and help articulate them. The, the first one, the best one is what we've called the, the remarkable return. And that remarkable return will see the vaccine, you know, the 200 type uh, vaccine trials that are underway at the moment, one of them or two of them or five of them or 10 of them working to the point that we can apply a vaccine to the extent we can get back quickly and therefore get to a point where this kind of institutionalized behavior goes away because we haven't lived in that time for a while. Right. The, the, the second one is what I call this collective coexistence. Well, well let's stop on the so, remarkable yeah. turn for a second. This is sort of, this would, if, if you're thinking in terms of the, the, the models put forward by economists that we've all become familiar with, this would be sort of not quite V-shaped because it's been a long trough yeah. in the middle, but this would be sort of a rapid return to not, if not 2019 levels, at least some semblance. And in that scenario, do you see airlines needing to downsize further or is it just a matter of, you know, gradually recalling the furloughed employees and adding aircraft back to the fleet? Um, I, I see it more as you, as you, from a description of a picture of more of a kind of watering can, as you say, right? It's that sharp decline. It goes across right. the bottom and it comes back up again. Yeah. Um, I, I, I see them having to be very diligent and continuing the discipline that they've got at the moment for a period of time. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they have to be very cognizant of what we have you know, nearly built up a kind of generation's worth of debt. If you start adding up everything we've got around the world, they need to be cognizant of that. But they need to be in a position where they can scale really fast. You know, I talk about flexible as one of the four outcomes. They've got to be scaling up very fast and responding to different consumer needs, which is where that fuller service comes in. Because if demand comes back, you know, airline A is going to compete with airline B. They're going to choose someone who gives them the best proposition based upon what their specific needs are. Yeah. So that's going to be really important as they respond. Okay, let's move on to the, these, these, just a note to our listeners, these uh, scenarios I was talking to Jonathan and the prep to this, they become progressively less rosy. To put yeah, and, and, and hopefully, you know, not not correct as we get to the right hand end of them. But the, the next one, I think, you know, we've called collective coexistence. Um, that's where demand remains kind of below the 2019 levels for a while. But ultimately, what we've got used to now and the discipline that exists, people get used to it all. The experience mm -hmm. of wearing masks and doing this, we just get used to it. But ultimately, the kind of pent up demand that we saw for leisure, for example, in Europe and this summer starts to come more evident in 2020, late 2020 and during 2021. Mm -hmm. And so people will start, I believe, sort of doubling down more on the leisure travel, which I think like most people would agree would come back first. Right. But they'll still need our clients will still need to focus on those four outcomes of being smaller and lower cost and flexible in their, in their world. You know, that that starts to get to a, a position where. You know, there would still be losses in, in 2021, but you get to the point of 2022 or so where we can see starting to be getting back to kind of more acceptable levels of returns. Right. Okay. Uh, and then moving on to the third scenario, which is has a very, very catchy, unfortunately catchy name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this one we've described as market mayhem. I mean, I talked about discipline in the collective coexistence. The, the market mayhem is one where, unfortunately, even mature markets lose control. And I talked before about government response. You know, yeah. we, we don't talk about clients. I certainly won't talk about governments. But the the reality here is that um, you know travel companies will need to shrink further amount amid what we would describe as permanent volatility. You know, no longer have we got the kind of disciplined closing and opening of O and Ds, but actually we start to get mature markets who lose control of the virus mm -hmm. and mutations or whatever it is, and actually at a point where a vaccine doesn't come till much later, if indeed starts to think about coming, and that starts to yield some quite poor returns and. 
we've modeled this on an O&D basis, we've used all the data points we've got, it starts to become really quite messy for quite some time. Well, how much mayhem sort of, you know, when you mentioned government, government and these, the the reaction to the virus, I mean, how much mayhem are you seeing now? Is, th- is that an accurate description of what we're seeing now, where there's a patchwork quilt of regulations around the world? And, you know, you indeed you have uh, IATA, IATA and ACI Europe and uh, A4A calling on the European Commission to make, or the European Union to sort of harmonize um, travel restrictions and lift some of the more onerous burdens. I mean, are, is, so it sounds like to to at least some industry groups, there is mayhem right now. Is this, is this scenario one where you're sort of seeing this mayhem as it were continue, this confusion uh, and disorganization can continue? I, I would argue at the moment we're not in mayhem. I think okay. we're in more chaos. Uh, but it's, it's yeah. um, maybe that's with my my alliteration on the collective coexistence. I mean, at the moment, with capacity down, you know, whatever, sixty percent, you know, forty percent of narrow bodies, seventy five percent of wide bodies on the on the ground, um, based on my last calculations, um, there isn't as much mayhem because there isn't as much flight. Okay, you can it's imagine a volume that, game right then, right? It is a volume game. I mean, you start to lose control, and governments take over, and they say, "Look, we've got to fly," etc. It just could be mayhem, I think. Hmm. Um, but not as bad as that fourth scenario, um, which we've called darkest days, Ugh. where you get from a world where the question of when a vaccine comes to if a vaccine comes. And I think that uncontrolled virus really upends the industry. You know, heaven forbid we're in this world. But I come back to the point at the start where, you know, leadership comes from outmaneuvering this uncertainty. Many of our clients now are starting to develop very clear plans based upon which of these scenarios are right. Now, importantly, not of these scenarios are right for each O and D. In fact, it might be more nuanced that for certain segments or indeed certain routes or certain, it might be slightly different. But leadership in this situation really comes from outmaneuvering this uncertainty. Now, are you in your darkest days scenario layering in geo- increasing geopolitical tensions, the yes. prospect of increasing geopolitical tensions? I mean, we already saw going, going into the pandemic, trade rows were starting to take a bite on some markets. Uh, travel between some markets, right? Uh, particularly U.S. and China, uh, elsewhere in Asia and China. I mean, there, there, were, there was definitely some softening there. These, this pandemic has only worsened a lot of those tensions. And how? I mean, you talked about the uncontrolled virus, but where? What are you? What are you planning for in terms of, without naming specific countries, but sort of geopolitical influences on the airline market in these dark, in this darkest day? I think think a further catalyst for the geopolitical stuff problems you just talked about there really is what will happen with a vaccine. I mean, we're talking about winners and losers. We're talking about winners and losers in the aviation sector. The sad geopolitical nature of of the world now may mean that with various countries buying up huge amounts of vaccine even before it's proved, there are going to be winners and losers when it comes to having available vaccines to supply their 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 kind of their, their citizens. I think. You know, we've been modeling even, you know, given our, our extensive cargo business that we have and the trade database that we have that plots every single bit of movement of, of freight around the world. You know, we've been even working out the number of freighters, given the volume of pass, uh, volume of citizens. You know, the, 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 if a vaccine comes and we're back towards the remarkable recovery end of my scenarios, you know, we can imagine a world where this would be great for our cargo business because there's going to be something like a thousand freighters that are required to take this volume of vaccine around the world. To come back to your point on geopolitical, in that that um, darkest day scenario. Unfortunately, that geopolitical um, uh, layer on top of this does make it even more complicated to win. Um, mm. uh, and I think 
you know, we're going to have to be even more careful that in this kind of world where the qualifying criteria continue to be safety and security, we've got to make sure and our clients are superfluous. We've got to make sure that's absolutely paramount in everything we do. So what, uh, where, where are, are you, what do your clients tell you when they hear of these scenarios? Like what, what are the, what are you hearing from, so you mentioned business confidence, but what are you hearing from the industry in terms of where they, they think they're, they're headed? Um, they're reluctantly accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not because they don't necessarily agree with the scenarios we laid out. I think that the detail that gone behind it and all the conversations we've had with our clients have run picked a lot of the, the detail here uh, and the evidence behind it. I think the the challenge that they face is, I go back to my very opening comment, they've done tremendously well during a period of unbelievable adversity, but six months on, they are, it, it, it's grueling, right? I mean, I know, you know, I get to the end of my days having had conversations with these clients around the world and hearing their woes, you know, they are living this day in, day out. They're living it from a shareholder perspective. They're living it from a customer perspective. They're living it from a colleague perspective. It's tiring. And to think that they are now gonna go from what has been a six month sprint to a marathon of sprints going forward, that's really hard for them. And so they they are starting to reflect on, you know, what kind of culture do they want in their organization? What kind of organization structure do they need? A lot of clients, and being very candid, a lot of clients have realized that in the kind of keep the lights on mode, they don't need as many people to do as things that they did before. Right. And so actually they found, I've had this from a couple of clients at different levels and different geographies saying to me, actually with fewer people, our culture means that we've actually got things done far more quickly and we've been far more collaborative. But ultimately, to your question, what they're realizing is that they need to set a flight plan. They need to have a, a position where they're outmaneuvering this uncertainty and they need to create a culture of collaboration that goes just not within their organization, but goes across the industry. And to your point about uh, the industry bodies you talked about, who are all doing a, a great job to try and move this all forward, we still remain splintered. We don't have a position where we have a very clear set of expectations and set of outcomes and goals that we're trying to create across my AAA of airlines, airports, and authorities. You know, Accenture are working based on the work we did with the World Economic Forum uh, a couple of years ago on the known traveler digital identity, which is all around seamless border uh, cross-border travel. Uh, we've been working on that to create a new version of that, which has the health attestation akin to a kind of yellow fever badge that supports our airline clients working with the local airports and the authorities to create that seamless experience across borders. They recognize though that they've got to focus on a number of fronts to get things right. They've got to get uh, what we would kind of call workforce excellence. They need to take care of their people through this transition and journey to make sure they take their customers. They've got to focus on the traveler experience, acknowledging it's changing for all the reasons we've seen. They've got to focus on the retail elements that I talked about at the top of the call in terms of thinking about how other brands focus on things. They've got to think about how they use data to ensure they have an intelligent set of services because all the models they've used before for demand have to be thrown out the window. They have to think differently. They have to create uh, what we'd call intelligent operations using automation in their mid and back office to really get to that world where they are full of service, lower cost and more flexible in what they do. And across all these things, they have to have a more innovative and transformative technology backbone that supports them doing this in a different way, all to the point that they have a stronger balance sheet and have a much better clear view on what their strategy is going forward. So they pick the right flight plan against those scenarios and get their organization really behind it. Well, speaking of balance sheets, uh, a lot of, you know, while airlines are now focused on sort of the existential crisis facing them, whether they'll live to how they're going to, what shape they'll be in to live to fight another day, they are putting a lot of debt on their balance sheets. 
what what how do you think this will affect i mean say we come through let's say we start to come through the most the remarkable return and it's a fast recovery i mean what 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 do you advise your clients in terms of the debt or what do you see like uh how how this could affect the industry's recovery I, I think I mentioned before, I, by the time we're done, in respect to those scenarios, I, I've classed it with many of my clients as a generation's worth of debt. Right. Um, you know, we, we going into this, you know, many of our clients and many of the ind- industry leaders and, and those are across the world felt they'd position themselves in a strong position as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pandemic was on the risk register of most organizations around the world, but it was in the high impact, low probability quadrant. Right. And so they hadn't prepared themselves for this. I think the reality is, as they look to strengthen their balance sheet, they're going to realize this debt's going to be there for quite a while. And so they have to think through strategies that repay that to the point that it doesn't remain a noose around their business for a long period of time. Right. Um, and that's a challenge. Um, but ultimately, it comes back to those four outcomes I mentioned. They've got to be smaller. Um, you know, I, I do imagine that there will be many winners and many losers in this, in this society, um, but they have to be more flexible. They have to be lower cost. And they have to be full of service and do all that together. And only if they get, you know, the four cherries on the on the free machine all ticking, do they get to a point <laughs> where they can start paying off that debt, because it's going to be here for a while. Well, that's a sobering note to end on, Jonathan. I want to thank you very much for joining us today. No pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, it's a great conversation. I hope to have you on soon, um, so we can talk through some of the, as in a couple of months, we can see where we are then.